Lordy, uh, thank you for how you meet us in our stories. And Lord, thank you for how you've met Linda in the stories that make up her life. And uh, Lord, as she shares about uh, family, about how we are the way we are, and um, how our emotional health is so linked to our families of origin, how we were formed there, uh, Lord, would you be with her uh, and give us ears uh, to hear and soft hearts to um, uh, curiously uh, ponder the words that Linda shares. Uh, be with her, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Nathaniel. Well, good evening, everybody. How are we all doing? It's very dark out there, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely getting to that season. You can definitely tell the clocks have changed, can't you? Yeah, so it feels, uh, it feels very dark. Anyway, welcome, um, welcome, especially welcome to those of you who are joining us from Germany and the Netherlands uh, and elsewhere in Europe. You are very welcome. Um, we are continuing, as Nathaniel said, our journey through um, this book, Emotionally Healthy Church. And we're really trying to think about those things which get in the way of our ability to love Jesus well and to love each other well. And today we're talking about breaking the power from the past. Guys, I've realized I've left my um, thingamajiggy down there. Could somebody? Thank you. Thingamajig, thank you. I believe this is going to magically change the slides for me, which is amazing, isn't it? Look at that. Um, so today we're talking about principle number two, which is that in emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their ability to love Jesus and to love others. So I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but how was your family? Were they amazing? Amazingly good? Were they mediocre? They did some good things and some bad things? Was your family of origin something that you would rather forget? I guess for most of us, there's probably a combination of all of those things. There were some things about family which are amazing. There were some things about family which are hard and don't particularly like to remember. And then there's a load of stuff in the middle. So today, this is what we're going to be thinking about. So there might be some stuff in here that's a bit triggering, for you, so just a little bit of a warning. It's sensitive subject that we're kind of um, kind of talking around. Um, but essentially, if we are going to be emotionally healthy, then we all need to be on this journey of being healed by Jesus, so that we can become the people that He really wants us to be. So, what sort of baggage? What sort of unfinished business? might be affecting yours and my walk with Jesus and others today. I want to begin just by looking at a little bit of, of scripture. Um, you don't need to go very far in the Bible to find damaged families. Um, so, you know, the Bible tells us actually that every family is damaged. Now I'm picking up now from Exodus 20 verses 5 to 6, where it says, I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, and I punish the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
but I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and who keep my commandments. It's a really difficult passage, that, isn't it? Yes, no? It is a difficult passage, isn't it? It's essentially, it's reminding us that actually, because of the brokenness that happens in people right from Adam and Eve, then actually that continues down through the generations. We like to think of God as a loving God, and indeed he is, but it wasn't God who brought evil and difficulty into the world, but we live with those consequences. And because of that, we live with the sin of the generations of the Father. Now, there were various ideas as to who we could pick up to have a look at and say, well, where does the Bible show us this? I hope you can, can you read that. Okay, yeah, it's not too bad. That's fine. So I've picked up um, stuff around David. Now, King David was a man after God's own heart, an amazing guy. But let's just look at what happened with him. So first of all, his, his um, legacy starts with Jesse. And we don't know an awful lot about Jesse other than that he was the um, grandson of uh, Ruth and Boaz, and he was a farmer. And his biggest thing is actually that he had David as a son. David was one of eight uh, sons that, um, that Jesse had. He was the youngest of them all. I remember when I was a Christian, when I was first, when I was a little Christian, like in like growing up, knee high to the to the grasshopper, um, I suddenly began to, I, you know, you're taught about David, aren't you, in Sunday school, and you learn about David and Goliath, and uh, you learn that he's an amazing guy, and I remember getting to that point when I came into faith properly, when I realised that David was also a murderer, also committed adultery and had various other forms of sexual sin that ultimately divided up the family. And I remember being quite shocked by that, because it's like, how could you have this hero of the Bible on one hand, but this man on the other hand, who was so incredibly broken? So David, of course, as you'll remember, um, wasn't allowed to build the temple for God because of the murder that he'd committed. And so David then has Solomon, Solomon is his son. And the Bible tells us that his heart was not fully devoted to God. So Solomon started out his life really well, created an amazing kingdom that the Queen of Sheba wrote all about, was fantastic. But actually, his life ended up in brokenness. He had 700 wives. I have no idea how you do 700 wives. One husband is quite enough for me. I'm sure that for Dave, one wife is quite enough for him as well. But Solomon ended up with 700 plus a whole pile of concubines. And actually the result of that was the family disintegrated even further. And then from Solomon, we had Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And actually things got worse. So the Bible tells us that his heart was evil before God. So can you see the degeneration that's happening here through the, through the generations? So his heart is evil before God. He too is full of sexual sin. He had 18 wives and 60 concubines. Again, not quite sure how you do that. But essentially what happens on the back of that is you begin to get 
this split that happens between the northern and the southern kingdom. So the tribes that had been one, the 12 tribes, become two. And I'd like to suggest that's probably part of the reason that we're in the situation that we are in today with the Middle East. So, you know, all of this contributes. So generation, 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 the sin continues and the breakdown um, happens. So what does that mean for us? Let me try and get the slides going in the right direction again. There we go. So how has your family shaped you? Now, the, the book recommends is that you do this um, genogram, which is where you start and think about, so if I look at my parents, what comes from my parents? What great traits come? And what traits are there in there, which are perhaps like those traits that we've just looked at in David? Then go back another step. What was it like for your grandparents? You know, what did they contribute to you that was positive? What did they contribute that might be something which is a, an issue or a challenge for you? So if I look at uh, my life, if I look back at my genogram, I have family separation, I have adultery in the background, I have um, people who were workaholics actually in our city. Uh, I was just reminded today, Nathaniel and I were just sharing stuff as, uh, as he arrived, and I just remembered going into City Hall and seeing something which struck me in the, our council chamber. Um, basically, there's a big uh, motto over the top which says, hard work conquers all. Now, that was one of my relatives. My rel one of my relatives came into um, the wool trade here in the city. He worked incredibly hard. He started as an uh, errand boy and ended up on the board of one of the big wool, um, wool places. But that brought with it some interesting things from, for, you know, from my perspective. We, had always, we never had enough. So you know, there's also a bit of a poverty mentality for me. So just have a think for a moment, and I don't know whether you're comfortable, maybe just have a conversation with the person next to you. What immediately jumps to your head as you think about what are the things um, you know, that, that have shaped you from your family? And there's some ideas there that you might want to just talk about. So just a couple of minutes, have a think and a chat. Okay, so that's how your family has shaped you. What about other influences that you might have had in your life? So
So um, for me, faith has been a major influence in my life. I've gone to church since I was teeny tiny. Divorce has also been an influence in my life. Emotional abuse has been an influence in my life. What else has influenced the way that you are, your particular, you know, your makeup? What else has influenced you? Again, just perhaps have a couple of, couple of words with your neighbor. And then let's bring it round to a, so what? What of these patterns of relationships might have influenced who you are today? In what way might your life with Jesus be shaped by your past? What way might your past have shaped um, the way that you are as part of Jesus' family? What might that mean in terms of the discipleship journey that you've got? ahead of you. So I gave you some of the things which have been part of my life. Um, and if I look at it, you know, as I look back on my, on my journey, and it took me a lot of years to realize that Dave wasn't suddenly going to abandon me. You know, that whole abandonment thing had a big impact on me as an individual, but also actually as I moved into being older and being married, there was a sense of, you know, as I'd been abandoned as a little one, then actually maybe Dave was going to do that. And as you become into those stages of having children, you become more vulnerable almost, don't you? So, um, you know, that was, that was a really big tendency for me. I had um, a tendency because of others within my uh, family to overwork. You know, this whole sense that work was a really good thing. And work is a good thing with everything that we pull out here. You've got balance, haven't you? Because actually, if I hadn't worked, I would certainly not be doing this here. And I, I, you know, I've needed to work really quite hard at that stuff because of my background. But actually, I know that in me, there is a chink that if I start to become under pressure, then my tendency is to keep working way beyond what I really need to be doing. And that's not good for me and not, for, not good for my family. Or if I feel under a different kind of pressure... It means that I begin to do a little bit too much Amazon shopping or go out. So you'll all be able to help me now. You know, this is accountability time, people. You know, you can, you can all help me with this, with this stuff. Um, so, you know, these are the things that come out. And, and not, you know, some of, the, some of them are really good. And some of them are really challenging, aren't they? And so as I come into this family of believers, and particularly as the leader of this family of believers then I need to be aware of these things which are chinks in me from my background and from my influences. So what about for you? 
you know, what are the things that you think actually this does impact my, um, my relationship with God and my relationship with other people? Because they do, don't they? We're not disciples in isolation. We are disciples together. And so how I am directly influences you and how you are directly influences other people. But, and there is a great big but in all of this. We, when we come to know Jesus, are born into a spiritual family, a new spiritual family. Jesus talks about us being born again to Nicodemus, doesn't he? Born of the Spirit. Um, the way that Peter Scazzaro talks about it in the book is he says, only by a direct intervention of God can you or I be changed. We require a complete change at the root or base of who we are. So when we give our lives to Jesus, there's a complete disruption to the roots that have gone before. We're invited into a new family and we are given a new start. Whenever I do a, a, a talk around baptism for little babies as we're baptizing them, I often use this passage from 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So when we decide to give our lives over to Jesus, our family roots shift. Now, that doesn't mean that our past suddenly becomes erased. Sadly, for some of us, be great just to have all of that past gone, wouldn't it? And to just have an absolute brand new. But actually, God cares too much about us to do that. We are given a new start, but we come into that start as like new babies. And we need to be taught everything we need to learn. And it's a different way of learning. It's a different way of living, a different way of life. And we all come into this change with broken bones and wounds and scars from life. And God's intention is that we get healed through our journey with him. Our wounds get sorted out, we get stitched up, our legs get pots on and those kind of things. But actually, the scars remain and so as we begin to be disciples of Jesus and we begin to be part of this family that he's invited us into, then we do well to reflect on the positive and negative impacts on our family because then we can understand how we relate to others. So interesting scripture from Mark 3. This is one that always kind of, kind of gets you a little bit when you read it, particularly if you are a mom, I think. Jesus has uh, been really, really busy. Um, and his mother and brothers are at the door and they're really concerned about how Jesus is doing. Um, and probably, you know, doing the sorts of things that we might do. I'm doing it particularly to my son at the moment, who I know is burning loads of midnight oil. And I'm saying to him, you need to rest 
You know, you've got to stop every now and again. You cannot go 24-7. He's working in the UK, but working US time and UK time at the moment. So, um, you know, you have to rest. And if you don't, you're going to, you know, going to burn out. So I think his mom was going with really good intentions. And, you know, bless him, Jesus says, who is my mom? Who are my brothers? And then he looked around and he saw those seated in the circle around him. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we are born again by the Spirit of God. We are given these new roots, but we are reparented into a family that is the local church. And as we begin our journey of being discipled, then actually we have to realize that that takes some time. Um, it doesn't happen immediately. Again, sometimes we kind of wish it would, don't we? <laughs> you know, so go from here to here in like fractions of a second. And you know, sometimes Jesus does that kind of healing, but often most of the healing comes in the process of being healed and most of the learning comes in the process of being healed. But then one of the really important things that I learned again quite early on in my, particularly my leadership journey, um, was that broken people break people. So as I'm going through my journey of Jesus graciously healing me, I have to be really careful that what I'm not doing is breaking somebody else further because of the brokenness that I've got inside of me. So when we gather together in our different worshipping communities, our small groups, our community meals, then I know that most of us try very hard to put our best sides on. But then we have to remember that sometimes when we come under pressure, when other people come under pressure, then actually that brokenness does show through. And that can make it really quite difficult. But we have to help and support each other as we go along this journey. And this is this whole concept that Scazzaro says about being reparented through the church. So it's remembering that now, because of who Jesus has made me, the most critical factor in my identity is not my birth parents, but actually it's my identity as a child of God. The church becomes the place where we, we help each other, we hold each other accountable. We have some amazing conversations of encouragement. We have some other conversations of challenge and some other conversations of concern. Because being adopted into this family doesn't mean that the past is gone. Some of that is still there in us. And the only time when we'll see all of that gone will be when we see Jesus face to face. And we are totally healed and we were totally uh, put in the right place by him. But following Jesus and being, uh, I'm, I'm going to that point is a journey that takes time and a process that at times is quite painful. I'm going to hand over to Nathaniel in a minute. He's going to lead us in a time of ministry. And yeah, just have a, just as we change over, just again, just have a reflect. What is there 
in you that actually you would like God to begin to shift so that you can be more of the person that Jesus wanted you to be. Nathaniel said last week, you know, Jesus was the most perfect of people. How do we get to that point?